Being a Better Man, Episode 107. All right, guys, welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Storytime with Alf. Storytime is where I tell a true story from my strange and interesting life. The purpose of the story is not just to entertain you, but also to share with you the lesson or lessons I learned from that story. They might even cause you to reevaluate parts of your life and help you get lessons that you never knew were there. With that being said, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. The story I told you last week was about when I first got my driver's license. It's number 104. Today's story happened five months later. It's kind of a follow-up, and it's the story of how I ultimately lost my driving privileges. My friend's family had a beach house right on the Pacific Ocean, about two hours away from where we lived. They were letting him have a little get-together with his friends, unsupervised, for a weekend in December. So far since getting my license, I hadn't been in any trouble. I haven't gotten any tickets or wrecked anything. The vehicle I drove was our farm truck, a 1964 Chevy pickup. I loved that truck. For all intents and purposes, it was my truck, and in later years after I left home, it became my brother's truck. But as much as I loved that truck, I didn't trust it to go all the way to the ocean and back. My parents had just purchased one of the only brand new cars they ever got. It wasn't anything fancy. It was a powder blue Mercury Zephyr station wagon, but it was brand new. The idea that my parents would let me drive their brand new car to the ocean seemed ridiculous, but I had to try. So I waited. I bided my time until there was one of those moments. One of those moments in which my parents were engaged intently in something else. One of those rare moments when the perfect combination of conditions existed. Something that had their attention, and they were also experiencing happiness and comfort and joy all at the same time. I spent over two weeks waiting for this perfect moment, and it finally came. When it did... I gently inserted myself into their happiness bubble and suggested how nice it would be if they could show me how much they trusted me by allowing me to drive the car to my friend's family's beach house for the weekend. I also threw in how grateful I would be and how fortunate I was to have such understanding, trusting parents and how much that meant to me and how wise they were for preparing me for adulthood like this. Well, I couldn't believe it, but it worked. It must have been something about my delivery because they both just kind of nodded, not wanting to leave their happy state. The way I presented it made perfect sense. I was totally taking advantage of the fact that in my house, words meant things. I knew that having agreed to my request, they would not go back on it. The permission had been granted. The next day, when they were back in the normal grind of everyday life, the reality of it hit them. They called me in and asked me again what my plans were. I told them again, as innocently as possible, how my friends and I, a group of six, 16-year-old boys, were going to spend the weekend at my friend's family's beach house. We were all responsible young men. What could go wrong? 
Not having any solid evidence to the contrary, they grudgingly agreed again. On the morning I was leaving to join my friends, my grandmother was at the house. Grandma almost blew the whole gig. When she learned what my plans were as I was packing the car, she became incredulous. She was telling my mother what a horrible mistake she was making by letting me go off by myself in their brand new car. Then she started on my dad, pleading with him to come to his senses, but they had already given me their permission. What message would they be sending me if they went back on their word now? We all made it to the ocean, my friends and I. My friend showed us in, and we all explored the house, getting our bearings. We went into the kitchen, and on the table, in a box, was an entire case of pink champagne, and there was beer in the fridge. We were only sixteen. None of us had much experience drinking, and the champagne tasted like bubbly Kool-Aid. In short, it was a recipe for disaster. We all had a couple drinks, and then we decided we should go bowling. The town of Ocean Shores was throbbing with tourists in the summertime, but in December it was quiet and still, almost like any other very small town. The only people besides us were the locals. We had fun bowling, all of us slightly lubricated by the first round of champagne. Then we got something to eat at one of the local restaurants, and then we went back to the house to watch movies, play games, and drink more champagne. It's funny, but I don't remember any of the movies we watched or the games we played. I do remember drinking more champagne, though. We all felt, perhaps for the first time, something like men. There we were, having an entire weekend to ourselves without any supervision, drinking alcohol, telling stories, talking about women and making off-color jokes. I think in the beginning we were inebriated by our sheer feeling of independence, as much as the champagne. But then the champagne started to win. The next memory I have was all of us running around in the sand dunes, naked and screaming like wild men. The fact that it was about 35 degrees, very near freezing, didn't seem to matter at all. We were invincible. We were making naked snow angels in the sand, and truly behaving like we'd lost our minds. Then I decided to put my clothes back on and get in the car. The beach was desolate and expansive, and the full moon illuminated everything almost as well as the sun on a cloudy day. There I was in my parents' brand new car, screaming down the beach at 80 miles an hour. Then I would crank the wheel all the way to one side or the other, and the car would slide sideways, the wheels plowing through the sand. I think that's how I popped off all the hubcaps. When we got tired of that, the next thing that seemed to make sense was seeing how far out in the surf I could drive without getting stuck. I was driving down the beach in 12 to 18 inches of ocean water. I couldn't see to the left or right because of the rooster tail of spray the car was creating. The whole time, waves kept crashing in. Sometimes the water got pretty deep with the waves, and the motor almost stalled. But somehow, I kept it going. Somehow, through some divine intervention or simply stupid luck, I didn't sacrifice the car to the tide. I didn't get stuck. Somehow, I didn't crash into a giant log on the beach or roll the car 
or kill anybody. I'm still amazed that none of those things happened. The next day, when my eyes opened, I thought I was dying. The pounding in my head was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. Even the light coming through the window hurt. I had one shoe on, my clothes were filthy, and as far as I could tell, there was sand in every orifice of my body. I looked around at my friends and it seemed we were all in the same state. There were splashes of vomit here and there. The house was in shambles. Nobody said anything. We were all too busy mourning our stupidity. That's when I thought of the car. In pain and agony, I stumbled outside. There was the car, almost unrecognizable. Covered with sand and dried salt, all the hubcaps were gone. There were a couple small dents, and one of the windshield wipers was bent. The inside was worse, though. What had been a pristine new car, complete with the new car smell, now smelled like the intestinal tract of a whale. There was sand everywhere, and some seaweed, too, and vomit. The carpets were wet with seawater, and there wasn't a square inch of it anywhere that looked new any longer. I had that sick feeling, like when you lose a great deal of money or accidentally hit reply all on a controversial email. I knew my life would not be the same when I got home. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew it wouldn't be good, and worst of all, I knew I deserved whatever I got. After we were somewhat recovered, we all helped to try and restore the beach house to how it was when we got there. We did the best we could. Then we went to a place with a big vacuum and tried to do the same for the car, but there was only so much we could do. It was going to require professional help. Then we all made the trek back to our respective homes. My parents had been racked with worry and dread ever since I left, so they were waiting. I pulled into the driveway and parked. Then I got out and I just stood there, not sure what to do. My dad came exploding out of the house and marched up to the car. He didn't look at me. I stood motionless as he walked slowly around the car, looking at everything, his face was getting red, and veins were starting to appear on his forehead. Then he opened a door and looked inside. He recoiled when the blast of ocean smell hit his nose, but the inspection continued. I was coming to grips with the fact that my life was probably over. When he was done, he came to me and looked at me directly for the first time since I had arrived. He was trembling with fury. But there was something else as well. In his eyes, the look of profound disappointment. It was this look that affected me the most and tore at my heart. In that moment, I felt like the worst son who had ever lived. My dad was a reasonable, rational man. He was aware of his own limits, and he rarely spoke in times of extreme anger because he knew he wouldn't be able to control the things he said. This time was like that. He didn't say anything as he stood there trembling with rage and disappointment. He just held out his hand. I knew what that meant. Without hesitation, I retrieved my wallet and dug out my five-month-old driver's license and placed it in his hand. He spun around and went back into the house and left me standing there in my shame. 
It was about six months before I got that license back. Six months of being on my best behavior and repairing the trust of my parents that I had lost. I learned some amazing things from this experience. I learned what it was to completely betray the trust of someone I love. I learned how horrible that felt, and I decided I would never do that again. I learned what a valuable commodity trust is, how precious. Whenever trust is received, it should be held in the highest regard and handled as a fragile treasure, because that's what it is. It's a gift. It is also one of the cornerstones on which relationships are based. Trying to cultivate a relationship in the absence of trust is like trying to grow a garden in a parking lot where there's no soil. I also learned some things about the dangers of drinking, how abrasive sand can be, and that I wasn't a man at all yet. And a bunch of other things, too. That's the end of the story. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to show your support for this podcast, head over to patreon.com, find my page, check out the rewards I'm offering, and make a pledge to keep this going. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter. All the links are on the show notes page for this episode at beingabettermanpodcast.com forward slash 107. Now head out into the big wide world, and everywhere you go, in every relationship you have, make trust a priority. Do that, and you will be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad, signing out.